139, 1 through 12, 23 through 24. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you knew it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The word of God for the people of God. One of my greatest joys and challenges is to get up in a place called a pulpit and to try to say something about the largeness of God. Um, to speak about the ineffable, uncontainable one. And how does one do that? With great humility. <laughs> you know, you draw your breath with care and knowing that so many of the words and sentences that come forth will never do justice to the subject. It's, our language will often fail. But why do we even try to do that? Because we must. We are made in the very image of God. I, I heard this not long ago and I wrote it down. Someone said, when it comes to talking about God, that which we cannot speak of is the one thing about whom and to whom we must never stop talking. We must try. I would rather go large than small, okay? i tell you the truth, I get real nervous when I see these um, domesticated, housebroken versions of God, you know, God that's in a little fenced-in area. J.B. Phillips kind of gently mocked that in his book, Your God is Too Small. We whittle God down to being nothing but some cosmic policeman or errand boy or genie. I get real nervous when I hear preachers act like they've walked all the way around God and they've got some pictures to show you. God being just a projection of the person talking at the moment. I think it's better to go large. But here's the really interesting thing that happens. When we go large, God becomes more and more strangely available, present to us. That's the paradox. Um, close and far and near and distant here but somewhere else, all at the same time. If God represents the very energy that sets it all in motion, who would we be to limit how such a God would be experienced? Quantum physicists would say, let's don't do that. They, they say that all matter is really ultimately energy. Now, between you and me right now, there is empty space. But 
the physicists would say, oh, no, no, there's no such thing as empty space. It, it all contains something. It's called energy. It involves all of us. And then the physicists go on and say, you know, that energy, we can talk about it, we can explain certain patterns, but there is still this leftover chaos and surprise that I would suggest represents the very surprising energy of God that sets the whole thing aglow. I said one of my joys is talking about the largeness of God, but here's the greatest joy. It's taking this uncontainable God and trying to help us open our eyes to see the experience of God and everything we see and taste and sense. Yeah. I know a minister that um, got really excited about going snorkeling. So he goes, sends off to Amazon and he has some snorkeling gear sent to his house and He's really excited. He opens the box and he's whipping out the fins and the mask and the snorkel. And well, there was this little tube and he saw it, but he throws it on the floor and he doesn't think much about it. All he can think about is getting down to the keys and he gets down there and he can just picture it. All the colors and the shapes that he's going to see on these wonderful coral reefs. And he gets out there. And well, he sees a few shapes, not much color. Something has happened. You see, his mask keeps fogging up. And what do you think he remembers? That little tube. <laughs> it's back on his kitchen floor. And he remembers that tube is the special solvent that keeps the mask defogged. Now, I want to tell you what I think one of my jobs is as a preacher. To help us discover where we dropped the tube. All right? Yeah. I mean, because seeing and faith is, is really the first step to just about everything. Seeing that there uh, is, is more going on than first meets the eye. Seeing that something is going on beneath the surface in everything we experience. Now, our psalmist in Psalm 139, he is surely doing his best to defog our mask. Helping us to see all there is to see about the experience of God. I mean, listen to him. He says, you know, if I climb up to the clouds in the sky, you'll be there. If I go underground to the very depths of Sheol, you'll be there. If I take up the wings and go to the far western horizon, um, you'll find me in a minute. Yeah. Hmm. Who is this psalmist? Well, we know he's a person of faith, loyal member of the, the Hebrew faith. The commentators say you can be very clear that this is a worshiper. This is one who is going to the temple. And this is going to be a personal journey. So oftentimes when they went to the temple, the Hebrew people, it would be a communal, a family thing. They would plan it as a family. They, the children would get excited about it. They, they'd pack a lunch of goat cheese and bread and they'd be on their way and have a picnic and they'd get to the temple. But now he's gone by himself. Why do we know that? Because his language in this prayer is a prayerful psalm. It's very personal. Search me, know my ways. And then you hear him acknowledging that he doesn't have to ask God to show up. Never does. In the temple, out of the temple, it doesn't matter. Because he's saying this God is forever behind him, before him, above him, beneath him, around him, within him. It's the wherever God. Okay. Now there's a little connecting word 
This can be a takeaway word for you and me today from this song. I just want you to hear the word with, okay? Hang on to that one. It's a big word in the Bible. It's a theme in the Bible. It's a theme in Psalm 139 about this God who is uncontainable and describable and yet wonderfully with us. Who is this writer? Oh, he's a Hebrew thinker. He's a Hebrew writer. And he knows that um, when his people talk about the experience of God, that talk is grounded in the word ruah. Um, they believe that um, the, everything that is, it exists because this explosive, expansive, creative energy, it surges through everything. And... This cosmic electricity, they called the power, they called it the divine energy, the breath, the ruah of God. Now on the one hand, when the Hebrew people talked about ruah, it was as wide as the universe, it would animate the stars themselves, but it was also as intimate and personal as the breath you just took, you see. They were always talking about the experience of God everywhere and everything all the time. So here's the question that the song leaves with us. I mean, here's the challenge and here's the task. How can people like you and me become more and more the kind of people who are aware of that presence, who are attuned to the very rule of God? How do we do that? I really think part of it has to do with um, being aware that those moments are there. If we believe that the psalmist right, that the, the, the very, our very being, wherever we're at, is thick with the presence of God, then part of it is learning to lean into, um, hold on to those moments when they come. What moments? Well, you know those moments when just something inside you says, wow, now wait a minute. This demands to be savored. This moment should be frozen mid-frame. Or you say something like this. This is rather sublime. Okay? So those are moments. Um, slow down with them. Pay attention to them. I had one of those moments. I wasn't slowed down at first. I became slowed down. I was having this conversation. Um, this rather young man had just lost his father, and we were planning his father's funeral. And he was giving me some very helpful information, helping me to shape a eulogy. Gave me facts about where his father was born, siblings, parents. And then he said, write this down. He said, if you want to understand my father, you have to understand these few words. High school janitor. I said, okay. He said, no, we're not talking just about occupation. We're talking about vocation. My father believed that God had called him to be a high school janitor. He loved it. Knew all the kids' names, knew all the teachers' names, showed up at all the ball games and all the events. He loved being a high school janitor. He said, my dad worked hard 45 years as a high school janitor, put three of us through the State College of Bloomington, Indiana, University of Indiana. Hey, we all went on to make a lot more money than my father ever did, but none of us were ever as much at peace in our place he was and then he said this and when he said this he slowed down he said um, dad taught us something I said what was that he said well dad taught us that if you have to choose between money 
and following your heart. Go with your heart. All of a sudden, I slowed down. Oh, wow. Now, we're not just having a conversation. We're, we're in the middle of something very significant, some values that abide always, you know. I mean, in the first, it was just a conversation, but it became, for me, more than just a conversation. It was what it was, but no, it was something more. There was a moment of depth and dimension of life that comes as a gift from the one who is someone more, the very rule of God. I believe that. Maybe those rule moments will come um, when, when you're kind of swept away by a moment of awe in nature. Um, it happened to me a lot of times in, in the creation, but I know it happened this time. It was out in California. We'd been out at uh, some friend's wedding, um, Sarah and Matthew and I, and we went north of San Francisco into one of the redwood forests. How many of you have been to a redwood forest? Yeah. Tell you the truth, when I got there, I wasn't in the best of moods because we got out of the car. There were a bunch of kids in the parking lot. It's probably some Methodist church group, <laughs> you know, and they were giggling and just grappling and pushing each other around and laughing. I thought, do I really want to go into the redwood forest with these little wall bangers? And you know, let me tell you what happened. No one had to tell them to get quiet when we walked into the forest. Everybody, all of us got quiet because I think we sensed we were caning our way into a sanctuary. There they were, these magnificent trees, two, three hundred feet high. You had to arch your neck back as far as it would go to see the leaves at the top and they created their own twilight out of that bright California sky. Um, they had been there for um, two, three thousand years, and they were growing even then, and you could almost feel them growing. I had spent a lifetime seeing trees, but I don't think it was until I walked into that forest that I really knew what a tree was. Oh, no, 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 no. It was just trees, rather large trees to be sure, but just trees, no. For that moment, it was something more than trees. Oh, you say, well, they were what they were. No, it was more than that. Um, it was a moment of something more, something more. I think the very Ruah of God. But you, but you know, some of, those, some of those experiences, some of those moments won't be mountaintop moments. You will never put them in one of your journals if you do that. Uh, I think they'll be just kind of those everyday moments. You may not even remember them now, but here and there, they were there. And, and they, they gave you a glance, a clue, a glimmer of something, someone more. Okay. When those moments come, lean into them. Garrison Keillor, who's something of a modern psalmist, say, really, God shows up in ordinary places. He says, you know, he shows up and um, cooking and fishing and animal tending and sweet corn and flowers and poems and raising children and all those places where the gravy soaks in and grace shines through. Don't you love that? All those places where the gravy soaks in and grace shines through. You see what we're back to? 
And God is with, 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 with us. Oh, I got another word for you that percolates to the surface in this psalm. The word ahead. And you say, well, wait a minute. No, Rob, you already covered that. You know, you said God's before and behind and above. And No, I'm not talking about this now in spatial terms. I'm talking about relational terms. You know. This energy. It's all around us, but also kind of out in front, calling you and me from old dead ways into new and living ways. There's this verb, I think it's used three times here in Psalm 139, lead. When you use the word lead, that means we're being led. Someone is out in front of us. What does scripture say? Our mothers, our forefathers, our foremothers were wandering Arameans. We have a pilgrim God. We're a pilgrim people. A God who's out in front of us, always reminding us our promised lands aren't back there somewhere. They're still out in front of us. A God who is not in the past trying to get us to hold on to what is used to be, but what can be, what should be. Listen to the plaintive language how this psalm ends. Um, Lord, um, teach me, show me. Um, show me that which in me that might be incomplete and that which is broken and then will lead me in the way that leads to life eternal. Search me out. That, that's the language of someone who figures that God has not been finished, is not finished with us. We're going to come to the altar of God. That's what the psalmist was doing. He came before God and you've heard me say this is the most important piece of furniture in the church and you know the light from this altar from the very presence from the altar of God is different than any other light in the world isn't it I mean when I'm out there dealing with other lights and those dim lamps oh they're just easy for me to I don't have to see too much I can just kind of compare myself to other people I'm doing okay everything's been graded on the curve I can just settle into where I'm at but this light, I see something more. You know. I, I can't settle in for my little slice of sometimes feeble visions and dim passions. It, it's calling me to nobler ways. I heard somebody say this years ago. I can't remember who it was, but they said, if you study the narrative of the Bible, if you study the story of the people of God, there are these forward movement, and he called them clicks. Clicks. God meets us right where we are. Click. God says, get up, go on, keep moving. Now that's invigorating. That's also unsettling. That's why some people don't want to be here today. I mean, worship can be a little unsettling, coming in the presence of God. Can't we just settle in where we are? But, you know, that's one reason some of you keep coming. Because it is invigorating. You know, we get to come here and have a conversation with the very energy that set the universe in motion. You know? We get to have a conversation that's so much larger than what we would come up with if left to our own devices. I come here and I go, oh, I'm here at C. And God says, why don't we move to D? Oh, I'm here at G. Why don't we expand to H? 
And if I fall all the way back to A, the psalmist says, guess what? This searching, seeking God will find you there and get you moving again. One step, then another. I hope you can really take the psalm home with you this week. It, it's a traveling psalm. It, it, it can just inform how we see our life every day. I, I hope you'll do that. I, I think it's a good word for those of us that tire ourselves out as Christians. I, I love this church. We have so many people doing great things and active things, and that's wonderful. But here's what happens to us as real active Christians. We sometimes wake up in the morning, and we think nothing of importance is going to happen unless we make it happen. Yeah, you know what I mean? But here's what this psalm reminds us of. When you and I wake up in the morning, something is already happening. It's the ongoing creative energy of the God who is for us, with us, ahead of us. I'm going to close with this story. I want to just slow down a little bit in telling it because, well, I've told it before, but it's a good one to take with you. Granddad and grandson are um, out having a little day of fishing on a pier in Florida. It's fall in the year. It's not all hot and muggy down there anymore. And, you know, it's about the fishing, but it's also just about the being together. And they have a good time. Granddad and grandson, when they're together, and they, they had a good time. They just talk about some things little boys love to talk about. Why are there these creatures called fish in the sea? And why do the clouds fly overhead? Why does it start raining and then stop raining? Why do the leaves turn golden in the fall? They just had the best thing, just bouncing things around, talking about life, and then it became twilight. It was time to put away the lures and the lines and the rods and the reels, and they were packing up, and the little boy looks up at his granddad and says, Granddad, does anyone ever see God? Granddad, he looks at the purple in the horizon. He looks into the eyes of the boy. And he says, son, it's getting so I can hardly see anything else. Yeah. I'm not there yet. Oh, but I want to be. I, I want the fog more and more to be taken away from the lens through which I see the world. I, I want to see it like this psalmist. I want to see a daily world that's thick with the presence of God. Wherever God. For us, ahead of us, with us. With us.